Amen. Thank you. Uh, Brandon? Brandon is a papa. <laughs> yeah. Um, Isla uh, is their little girl. And uh, when Brandon says uh, he hasn't been here in a while, um, prior to them having their baby, Brandon was um, uh, sort of self-isolating. He was still working, but self-isolating because he wanted to make sure that he could be there uh, with his wife during delivery. And so he was taking every precaution to make sure that he would be allowed into uh, the delivery room. And he was. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, we anticipate seeing uh, Lindsay, his wife, and their baby uh, Isla at some point in the coming weeks uh, here as well. So praise the Lord for that. Where do you come from? That is a common question that people ask. So where are you from? And uh, it's very common. And I just need to clear something up. That is not a Mennonite game, okay? Uh, people all over the world, I don't even know what that phrase means, and don't get me started, the Mennonite game. Uh, people all over the world ask that question, where are you from? Human beings are interested in knowing this. Uh, it is implanted in us for a very good reason. We are meant to ask and have that question answered. Uh, the idea is if we know where you're from, if we know your origin, then we have a better understanding of who you are and your background and your context. Uh, when I was visiting with uh, Gary, uh, Kimberly and I were visiting with Gary and Andrea in the country where they were uh, several years ago, uh, the people there wanted to know that question. Where are you from? What is your origin? And, and they wanted to know, like, give us, like, 500 years ago. Not just local or, or uh, you know, recent. And this is the question for us as a church as well. What is the origin of the church? Where does the church come from? How did the church get here? One of the challenges that we have is that we tend to reduce things. We tend to deconstruct and make things small. So when we come to think about the origin of church, while well, we click on about us, go over to history, and we read a little bit about this church or that church. We tend to reduce the message of the Bible or the gospel, we tend to reduce it and make it small uh, as though the message in the Bible is about salvation. And then we reduce and make that even smaller and we reduce salvation to mean that it, salvation is really about converting people, turning them to uh, a religion, and that salvation is about leaving earth at some point in the future time. And so we continue to reduce and, and make small, but that is not God's mission. God's mission is grander and more expansive than that. And in describing all of that, what is obviously missing? 
Well, where is the church? What about the church? And so we find ourselves in the city of Ephesus, which is the namesake of the book that we are beginning to study uh, through our series, Being Human, Being Church. We're studying the book of Ephesians. And so this city of Ephesus is in the uh, western edge of modern-day Turkey. It was a bustling and prominent city at the time, and Paul knew this. And so he spent nearly two years in this city of Ephesus. It was one of the cities that Kimberly and I were planning to uh, go to before our sabbatical was interrupted. Um, And so he spent two years there and a church was established. But the year is now 62 AD and Paul is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter to the Ephesians. So he writes this letter to the Ephesians in about 62 AD. And the purpose of Paul writing to the church there is to expand their understanding, to fund their imaginations, to give them an understanding of the origins of church, the purpose and the goals of church. And that is very important. The reminder is very important. It is important then and it is important now. It is vital. Because without this expanded understanding, church is prone to drift or blend in or even outright fail. The book of Revelation is evidence of this when in the beginning chapters, the church was called out. Even the church of Ephesus was called out. And so what is the origin of church, the purpose, the goals? The first set of verses in the book of Ephesians are replete with uh, key terms and themes that will be addressed later in the book. So the first set of verses here that we're going to look at are quite thick with uh, theology and doctrine and all of that, but then Paul is going to uh, begin to treat those as this letter to the Ephesians goes on. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth." 
the living God is doing something extraordinary and unique in and through Jesus Christ. The living God is choosing and electing and giving a destiny. Now, our Reformed friends would say that God has predestined or predetermined that some people would become part of God's family and receive eternal life. That God has predetermined that. Some of our Reformed friends would even say that God has predetermined that some specific particular people will become part of God's family and the rest of humanity is predestined or predetermined to not be in God's family. But we are an Anabaptist church. I am an Anabaptist preacher. And our Anabaptist understanding of reading this and other passages, we understand that God has chosen the church. He has chosen a group of people that will be His family. And He has elected Jesus Christ to be the one through whom all of those people will be saved. And He has determined that all those who freely respond to his offer and repent and follow him will be part of the church, part of his family. That is our Anabaptist understanding of reading this and other passages. But I want you to also notice the grand arc of God's mission. When Paul is writing here, he mentions that this choosing, this electing and predetermining, he says, happened before the foundations of the earth. He is recalling creation. He's recalling from the the beginning of time, before God began to create, this election, this determination was already made. And then, Notice the ark continues and Paul describes that God has a plan, a telos, that there is a a movement and a plan for all of this and it will conclude at some point in the future. He says, in the fullness of time. That phrase is uh, an indicator, meaning when the fullness of time, when the time is complete, the end of time, a theological term is eschatology. I like to call it the grand finale. But that is the ark of God's mission. But notice also in here is this connection to the Old Testament era. We are not isolated. The New Testament isn't isolated. 21st century church is not isolated. The ark is also connected. God's mission connected to the Old Testament. When we read the word Christ, that word is an Old Testament term. It means Messiah. It is anointed one. That comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were three offices that were anointed by God, through, uh, most often through a prophet. The three offices were a prophet, 
was anointed, a priest was anointed, and a king was anointed. And now Jesus is taking up this title. He is given this title of the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king, the Messiah, the Christ. But then also notice in here, in this text, a description and a revelation of our triune God. We believe in God the Trinity. This doctrine of the Trinity. Now that word Trinity is actually not found in the Bible. This doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three people in one. One God and three people. Co-equal, co-eternal, and co-operative. But that belief is derived from passages like this, which talk about God the Father, talk about Jesus the Christ, the Beloved One, and then later on, towards the end of this passage that we'll read, about the Holy Spirit. So this is the ark, the connection to the Old Testament, the Trinity. And then we read in verse 11, In Christ, now when you hear that, you think Messiah, anointed one. It's connected. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The church is anointed. The church is now anointed. The church is given the Holy Spirit. The church and the people marked and sealed. Marked as in actually some form of actual change that takes place. Marked as in uh, authenticated, approved, and sealed. To some extent, that means something that is Uh, permanent and fixed. So what Paul is saying here is that God the Father has elected Jesus Christ as the Anointed One, the Savior, and the Redeemer. And He has chosen that there will be a family of human beings, the church, and He has chosen that He will gather His church together through Jesus Christ, and he will mark them by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the church then is the present day on earth presence of the triune God. Meant to extend and amplify the character and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So, imagine... That this is done by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when 
you were young, and maybe some of you still are, you might remember when it came time for a, a game or a sport or something at recess or on the playground, and people would pick. And I'm pick you, and you pick, uh, you know, pick Johnny and pick Sally and so on. And if you were like me, you were standing there hoping that you'd get picked at least somewhat earlier in the middle. Don't pick me last. What Paul is saying is that the Lord has determined, he has picked the church and he has picked individuals, he has destined the people who respond to him, he has determined that, he's picked that before time even began. You have been picked. You were already chosen. And you know, the other thing about these sports and these uh, activities is that so often the way they're set up today is that you have to sort of try hard. Right? There's tryouts. And you got to see if you're worthy, if you have enough skill and if you have enough ability and if you have enough strength and if, you have, if you're tall or you're strong or you're smart or you're quick or whatever. But that's not the case at all. What Paul is saying is the Lord has determined ahead of time that there's going to be a family. That family is called the church and he has destined people to be part of it. And all you and I need to do is say yes. There's no tryouts. It's an absolute gift. And what he's saying is, with all of these, is, you know, that we're marked. And I'm using the the hockey jerseys from our our church hockey team, but really, it it doesn't quite do it, because uh, marked and sealed is, is more permanent than this. It's almost like a tattoo in a way. Tattoo. But what he's saying is you, he's determined that there's going to be a church. He's determined, he's elected that it's happening through the life of Jesus Christ. And he is destined that people are going to be part of the church. And your response and my response is simply to say yes. And when you say yes, what you are doing is you are turning from whatever life you were trying to construct for yourself. And you're saying yes to joining the the church of Jesus Christ and joining the Lord's family. And when you say yes, you're putting on Jesus Christ. You're putting on this team. You're being marked and so on. And so it's not really individual uh, people. We are part of the church. The church. The church is the full display of the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the church. This is God's grace. This is God's disposition towards human beings is one of love. And so the church, in the first instance, it is the triune God who is the origin and source of the church. The community of God creates the community, the family, the church by his grace. And so the life of the church and your life is only one that can be received. It can't be attained. It can't be earned. It isn't deserved. And what's spectacular about this is the church of Jesus is open to everyone. It's open to anyone. There are no tryouts. He's already picked. And what that means is that no one is special. 
And what it means is that everyone is special. <laughs> you know? That's how God sees us. And so I wonder, friends, about the M. You know, the acronym of our church name, the M. I wonder about that. I think we need to change our church name. I think we need to retool our church name because that M that stands for Mennonite in our church name is confusing. And I worry that it creates a closedness as opposed to an openness which resembles the church of Jesus Christ. And I say that especially in our context because in our context, the word Mennonite is enmeshed with cultural identity. And so if we put that on our sign, people think they have to become uh, circumcised or become a cultural, uh, uh, have certain cultural uh, uh, characteristics. And that's simply not the truth. Not, not true of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a, a few questions here if I can find a place to sit maybe. I was going to, you know, while you're thinking about your, your questions, you can ask questions here. I'm going to pause for a, a moment to ask. If you have a question to ask in, in the sanctuary here, just raise your hand or stand up and ask your question, um, and we will try and respond to it. You can write in the comments on YouTube, or you can email or text to ask at semconline.com, and we will respond to your questions. While you're thinking of that, I was going to get people to, you say yes and run over here and we'd put these jerseys on. But all this business that we're dealing with today, I'm not sure that anybody wants to do that. And then, of course, what do I do in the second service? Well, I use up all the jerseys in the first service and I have to spray them and disinfect them and whatever. And good grief. Someday that will be over. Uh, and we can look forward to that. Any questions that, that anybody has at this point before I conclude? Jason, you've got a, a question there. Uh, someone has written something in. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, does the seal and the mark protect from the mark of the beast? Oh boy. Does the seal and the mark protect from the mark of the beast? Okay. Well, that's, that's a pretty interesting... Um, the... <laughs> it, it's really, it's, it's two, two very different realms or two very different zones, okay? Uh, the, I mean, to unpack the mark of the beast is a, 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 another whole matter of, of discussion. What we're talking about specifically when we're in this passage with Paul and the Holy Spirit is that when people respond... So first of all, uh, the Lord has marked the church. So just like the tabernacle of old, the body, the place was filled with the Lord's presence. The church is marked and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. As are individual people, they receive the Holy Spirit. So the mark and the seal is, as, as uh, Paul writes, is a, uh, a, for, uh, a predecessor, an indication of the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, mark and seal. It is not uh, anywhere in Scripture does it say that that uh, mark and seal is somehow now combating 
uh, a mark of the beast. Okay? What we are told is that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are marked and sealed. And you have eternal life. And John says in John 5, those who believe my name and hear him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That means when you receive the Holy Spirit, listen, you have eternal life. That means that you do not need to fear anything else. The Holy Spirit has sealed, has marked you. You are different. Your life is different. So do not be concerned about the mark of the beast that that somehow that is going to uh, get you in some way. Uh, You are marked by the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, yes, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Do you see? That's the Holy Spirit that's in the church and in individual people. I hope that begins to answer it. It's kind of a... uh, uh, I I don't exactly uh, accept the hypothesis hypothesis or the or the premise of the question uh, so i have to clean that up a bit you're, you're good with that okay listen um this really begins to set up a lot of what we're going to be talking about in the in the coming weeks but i want to finish by saying this first of all church knowing this we need to swing wide the doors we need to open the doors. Open the doors here in the church building. Open the, 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 in this facility. Open the doors in your life. Swing wide the doors because the Lord has chosen people to be part, all people. But the other thing that we are called to do is to speak and sing and live the praises of His glory. Knowing that, that this is our origin. We are here Strictly because of the grace and the goodness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the partnership, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So we sing and, and, we, sing and we live in the praise of His glory. We speak favor about God. Publicly and before Him. That is our calling, first and foremost, to praise the Lord. Marcus Bart the son of the theologian Karl Barth said, the greatest achievement in speech about God is the praise of God. So let us seek and let us take every opportunity to praise and make much of the favor of our God.